I want to thank the committee for allowing me the honor to share my experience with you tonight. Um, I love Oceanfront Conference, and I hate I missed the tent one. That was her, what I heard was the fun one, and I missed that one. But I like being here, and I have a lot of friends here. I've met a lot of new people, and, and uh, some of the people I've met here come to, down to North Carolina sometime, and I think that's just awesome. And You know, and Alcoholics Anonymous is absolutely the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in my entire life, and, uh, and I love what it's done to me and for me. Um, you know, I am nothing like I was before I found the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thank you for that. Um, you know, I love the theme of the conference, spiritual awakening, because that's what I've had. You know, I've had little change in attitudes that has allowed me to learn to live happy, joyous, and free inside my skin without something else to cover it up. And I am so grateful for that. I've looked for you all my life. And, um, and I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be right here. And if you're new, um, what I share from the, you know, from here, I just want you to know that you don't have to leave here to get what I got. You can stay right here. Um, you know, I'm not one of those that came in and picked up one white chip. I've got quite a few, and, and, um, and I pray to God that I picked up my last on April the 28th of 2000. Um, you know, but you don't have to go back out uh, to get it. You can stay right here, and it can happen for you. One thing I've learned is that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is about surrender, and that's the surrender of my thinking because I don't know anymore. And I'm so grateful I'm still at that point of not knowing. You know, before I, the first time I came to you people and before I came here, I had all the answers to everything, and my thinking was the best thinking. I knew what was best for me, what was best for you, and what was best for everybody else. And, and today I think the greatest gift I've ever been given is the gift of I don't know. Please show me. And um, I was taught a few things that, uh, you know, when I got behind a podium of Alcoholics Anonymous to dress like a lady because I was anything but a lady when I got to you. And um, I was taught to clean my mouth up in a, at a podium and in a meeting uh, because all I knew when I got here was four-letter words. And, and I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Steve uh, you know, he was supposed to call me a month ago, and he called me like two days before we got here. And, um, yeah, um, that's all right. We talked for about an hour. And then uh, when we got here and we started talking, you know, I, I'm redneck, y'all. I'm total redneck. You know, and, and my jokes are redneck, and the words I use are slang. And, and for some reason, every time I tried to kid with Steve, it just went right over his head, you know. <laughs> you had to fill him in on everything, so... Keep coming, honey. It gets better. Um, um, but it, it's been wonderful so far, and it'll be even better in, uh, in about uh, 45, 50 minutes. Um, again, I want to say that I, I love what Alcoholics Anonymous has done to me and for me. Um, because... The way I feel on the inside about everything today is so different than what I had when I came here. Um, I love what you've made of me. I know that I've got a long way to go, but what I am today is nothing like what I was. And the happiness and the freedom that I have on the inside today, I know, is not from being free, from being locked down, but it's the freedom to be me and that it's okay. 
Um, and you've taught me who I am. You taught me who I am. And that person that I was always, always wanted to be, I am starting to become, and I thank you for that. Uh, and it's nothing that I've done. I truly believe the only thing that I had to start with was willingness, and um, it was because I was beaten into that state. You know, alcohol beat me, just about beat me to death. And, uh, you know, and willingness, when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous that April 28th, that night, um, you know, all I had was the willingness to say, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And uh, from that day till this, I have tried to do whatever my sponsors asked me to do, no matter what my thinking or thought process was. You know, whether I thought, that crazy old bitty, she don't know what she's talking about. But I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, it's better than the alternative. And, um, you know, and that's all I did. And from that point of having just that little bit of willingness, it's completely changed my life. And uh, nobody's ever loved me like you love me. I was born in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, July 7th, 1962. I am the second of eight kids. My mom and dad has uh, five, and then he's got a second set of three kids. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to stay too much in my childhood, hopefully. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, I had all the isms before I ever picked up a drink. I can remember around three years old, I started stealing stuff from my aunt. We lived with them, and I don't know what I was going to do with it, but I still stole it, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, Stole a lot of stuff from her, little Avon trinkets, and, uh, you know, and, and I was a manipulator between my mom and dad and my grandpa. And when my mama wouldn't give me my way, which she knew what I was doing, but daddy and grandpa couldn't see it, you know. So I'd go run to daddy and grandpa, and they'd let me do whatever I wanted to do. All I had to do was just tell them, you know. And then mama would get mad, and then they'd argue, and I would just be happy because I could do what I wanted to do. And um, so I learned that before I ever found alcohol. I, too, am one of those people who never felt like I fit in. I didn't like being around people. I absolutely loved being by myself. Loved being out in the woods. And, uh, you know, I always go find a tree to hang out under or checking out the crawdads under the rocks in the creek or always finding something else. I always I love being by myself. My dad drank, and uh, my dad's an alcoholic, and he's been sober for almost Something like 30 years now. Uh, I think actually this year will be 30 years. My dad's sober, but he got sober in the in a church, and uh, and he's still sober today. You know, and he doesn't go to Alcoholics Anonymous, but my dad has a program that is, just blows me away sometimes. But when I was growing up, he drank, and his favorite drink was Jack Daniels and Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. And um, now, of course, that was before Pabst Blue Ribbon beer became the yuppie thing to do like it is now. I. Uh, I don't remember my first drink. I know that Dad kept that bottle of Jack Daniels up under the kitchen cabinet, and he kept the uh, the uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon in the in the refrigerator. And and one, many times he would never be at home, and and I'd always take a sip out of that Jack Daniels and then fill it back up with water. And he'd accuse Mama of watering the drinks down, and and uh, they argued a lot over that. And um, before I even knew what shotgunning was, I was taking in beers out of the refrigerator, poking a hole in the bottom of it, sucking the beer out, and putting it in the back. My dad always thought he had defective cans. Um, now, this was young, you know. This was like seven, eight years old, you know. And um, I don't remember the, the effect at that time period, but I do remember when I was 13 years old. Um, you know, like I said, I was very much a loner, never had a whole lot of friends. I did pretty good in school in the early years. And uh, then I met Janet, 
and Janet drank. I mean, Janet was as crazy as I was. She was very much a loner, and, and uh, we lived on Lake Hartwell at that time period. And if you lived in Lake Hartwell about the time I was 12 or 13, maybe you might want to come see me after the meeting. I might have some amends to make. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Janet and I used to uh, go break in these little cabins and, and uh, you know, would steal their liquor, eat their food, lock it up, and, and leave. And we didn't want nobody else going in there. You know, we wanted to be able to go in there. Um, and I remember her sister got married, and, and uh, they had their reception in this trailer. And, um, you know, most of y'all know what a drunk trailer park is. And it's for anybody from the north, it is not a manufactured home. It is a trailer. I grew up in it. I know what it is. But, you know, um, but, um, you know I, I remember walking in there, and they had password ribbon in the cases stacked up in the corner. And we started drinking that night, and that was the first time I felt the effect produced by alcohol. Now, when I was, you know, that, from, that, from the time I was born until that time, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. And, you know, and, and just like you knew, everybody else stands up here and says, you know, once I found that, I, I love what our book says. It talks about... See, I was pretty much dangerously antisocial when I didn't drink, but when I found alcohol, I became dangerously social, and that's when I came out. Um, you know, when I started, I started getting around people, and I loved being around, and and we drank every opportunity, they, every opportunity that we got after that. Um, you know, and and the, and I loved everything about it. You know, my dad drank; he was an alcoholic drinker, and. But I never seen any violence in my home. I seen a lot of hollering, you know, and uh, and there was a lot of times that my dad went home. And I seen periods when my dad didn't drink. He liked being by himself, and he didn't talk that much, and he always stayed away from us. But when he drank, he was very upbeat and happy. And that's what I seen, and that's what I wanted. I want to be just like my daddy when I grew up. And uh, you know, and the. I loved everything about alcohol, and the only thing I can say is by the time I was 14 years old, I was a runaway, and we were hitchhiking all over the country, and thank God I didn't run into Jeffrey Dahmer back then, and, you know, um, at 15, I was in a nut house because they didn't know what to do with me. At 16, I was in a treatment center, and 17, I was in a little juvenile prison for robbery, and, um, and during this whole time period, through these years, the drinking was constant with me. And uh, I did a lot of stuff other than alcohol. Uh, you know, I, I respect our singleness of purpose, and I'll talk to you about anything after the meeting. But uh, I believe in alcoholics, and almost the only thing we have in common is our identification. Um, and I'm grateful for good sponsorship that taught me that. Um, but I did everything there was to do in every way there was to do it. Uh, my main thing was alcohol. I loved the time I was 17 years old. I was a daily drinker. Uh, by the time I was 18, I had to have something in the morning to calm the shakes down, you know, kind of like what I got right now. And, um, um, you know, but I, I always thought I was hungry. I didn't know that I had to have the booze, you know. I just woke up and you started drinking, and that's what you did. Um, you know, and I don't remember too much from, from the time I got out of that little juvenile prison. I found a place called the Little Rebel in the county, and there were little beer joints where the cops didn't go, and there was pickled pigs' feet and deviled eggs up on the bar. And, you know, in South Carolina at midnight, they locked the doors, and nobody come out, and nobody came in. And you were there all night long until they opened the doors up the next morning, and, uh, and that's where I lived. I absolutely loved the bars. I loved everything about it. And, I, and I, that's where I stayed for a long time. Um, 
I was not, I used to love it when I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was looking for a sponsor. I, I used to say, I don't want no old bitty lady closet drinker. You know, I want somebody that drank like I did, that knows what alcohol, you know, knows what it's about. And, and uh, you know, the last time I drank, I was just like that. I was closed up because I didn't want nobody to see how I was drinking. You know, um, from 19 until about 26 years old, I don't remember too much. I know I woke up in a lot of different jails, a lot of drunk driving and, and somehow or another, around 1920, my drinking changed, and it became, uh, you know, I was pretty happy-go-lucky when I was drinking earlier, and then after about 19 or 20, my drinking changed, and I became very violent. And, uh, and I would walk into a place, and I would find the biggest guy in there, and I don't know why I always, you know, I got into a lot of fight with women, but it was mostly me, and I always wanted to pick the biggest, baddest one out and go start something with him. And, you know, and I started carrying a knife around with me at that time, and, and uh, you know, and, and I'd cut you. You know, that's, um, you know, where that took me, just very violent drinking. I wasn't, a, I wasn't sitting on the bar crying, and, you know, I was just very violent. Um, when I was 26 years old, 27, I don't know dates. You know, I try to go back and figure out what dates and what years and all that crap, and I just have no clue because I was in blackouts 24-7 at this time period, and, there might have been maybe five days that I wasn't in a blackout in five years. You know, um, from the time I came to, I had something in my hand until I passed out. Wherever it was, I passed out in whatever state it was, and I would wake up, you know, in some, you know, with some stranger, and, and that's where alcohol took me. I'm not very proud of the things that I've done, but I'll never forget the first meeting I walked into. You know, of course, I didn't want to be there. And the woman that was sitting there talking, she said, talked about all the places she'd been and all the strangers she'd woke up with. And I said, man, that's me. Because I always heard that I was morally bad, and that's what I thought about myself. And I thought I was morally bad. I was incapable of doing anything different. When I got out of that prison and then a couple of, you know, about a year and a half of drinking and doing the things I was doing, you know, I tried to go back home and, I wanted to go back to school, and my mom and dad let me in their house for the last time. And, and um, you know, and, and I went back to school. I got me in school, and I was there for two weeks, and I found them, you know, and they are who drank like I did. And within a month, I was back in the streets again because I, could, I just couldn't do it. And I always used to think that I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You know, I hadn't been home in months and, and well, probably almost a year and hadn't called my mom and, I come driving up one day, and she come running out of the house and punched me dead in the nose. And she was going to identify her little girl's body in Raleigh the next day. Jane Doe, she thought it was me. And I didn't hurt anybody but myself. Um, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous that I don't have to do that to my mother anymore. Um, when I was... In 1988, I woke up in Myrtle Beach. I was in a van that I had stolen from somebody. Uh, don't remember driving to Myrtle Beach. Uh, I remember running out of gas, and I remember hitting somebody. That's about all I remember. I came to about four days later and, and shaking and sweating and just nasty. I had clothes on. I don't know whose clothes they were. My hair was down to my waist, and it was all greasy and slicked down to my head. And you know, and, and um, that was the first time I ever woke up and thought that there might be a problem with me. And, and uh, the only thing I could think of, though, you know, I've never heard about Alcoholics Anonymous except when Kate got sober on Young and Restless or something. You know, I caught that. 
You know, when I was in that treatment center when I was 16, I had some guy named Charlie standing over me trying to pull out some deep, dark secret that I didn't know I had. I was just having fun, you know. And uh, so I'd never really heard about Alcoholics Anonymous, but what I did know about was jail. And the only thing I could think of is if I could get off the street, I'd get three square meals a day. Maybe I'll get my GED while I'm in there, and maybe after that my mom will let me come home. And so I go to the, you know, Myrtle Beach Police Station, and I hand them the keys. I said, here I am. You know, I stole this van, and that lieutenant looked at me, and she said, honey, there's nothing we can do for you. And, y'all, that's pretty bad when jail won't even take you, you know. <laughs> and I broke down and started crying because I knew, man, if I went back out there, there wasn't no turning back for me. And, and, um, and she said, well, wait a minute. I might know somebody can help you. And she made me stand outside and, at a payphone and was this little old man called me and told me he'd meet me somewhere at 7 and take me to a meeting. And uh, that's the night I met my shining armor, you know, my knight in shining armor. I always thought my knight in shining armor was going to be somebody like The Rock or Triple H, you know. And a little old gray-haired man about this tall. And he had a cigar, fake cigar hanging out of his mouth because he's trying to quit smoking. And uh, he had 28 years of sobriety. His name was Roy McCormick, and he's at the big meeting today. And... And God bless that man because uh, he came and got me that night and he took me to a meeting. He took me to an NA meeting, said I look too bad to be an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) And by this time, I had stopped everything probably years before I had stopped all the other stuff. You know, I I was just drinking on a daily basis uh, because I had to. But he took me to a meeting and... uh, Made me mad because he only gave me half a cup of coffee, and he said I couldn't handle it because I was shaking too bad, which was really true because I couldn't even hold half a cup. And um, I just wanted to say how grateful I am for the Al-Anons. You know, there was a lady in that meeting that night. She had brought her son, and her son had been in and out, in and out, in and out, and she was there bringing him. And that Al-Anon took me in her home and took care of me without knowing who I was. Because I had nowhere to go. I had no clothes. I had no toothbrush. I had no hairbrush. I had nothing when I came here. And this lady took me in her home, and they detoxed me on blackstrap molasses and orange juice. It was the nastiest thing I've ever had in my life. I actually had a girlfriend give me a gift the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I opened it up. And it was a jar of blackstrap molasses and orange juice, and I immediately got that dry heave from the bottom of my gut. <laughs> <laughs> It's on my dresser, and uh, Wendy's a good girl. But anyway, uh, she meant well, anyway. Um, but the next night, he come and got me, and he took me to a meeting. He said, I'm going to take you to a meeting where there's a lot of women. Uh, I'm going to take you to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous where there's a lot of women in there. And I tell you, if you get in the middle and do what they do, you might not be able to make it. And he took me to the primary purpose group in Myrtle Beach that night, and I walked into the meeting, and there was men sitting on one side and women sitting on the other. And, of course, you know I had to sit on the men's side because that's all I wanted to have anything to do with. So I don't know what it is when we come into AA what our problem is with having relationships with women. And I've tried to figure that out, and the best thing I can figure it out is I was trying to figure it out. You know, well, you know, we're always in competition, and my sponsor will say, well, what you got that they won't? <laughs> okay, that made sense to me, you know. <laughs> um, I love good sponsorship and a strong uh, old sponsorship, which is really neat. And um, but anyway, that group of women took me in, and uh, they taught me about things like the love of a home group and getting active in service work and and uh, holding my hand out and. 
you know, and looking for the woman who's in the room with that look on her face as scared as I was when I came in, you know, and grabbing hold to them and saying, hey, welcome. I'm just as scared as you are. And they said I could do that before I ever got a year or started sponsoring other people, you know. Um, and I didn't have a car. I'd had seven DUIs by the time I got here. And, and um, you know, so I had a judge tell me I'd never, ever drive in the United States ever again. So I had a lot of people who come pick me up for meetings, and I love to get those girls today who say, well, I can't get there. I ain't got no way. And I'm going like, I rode a bicycle for two years to a meeting, and you can too. Um, so, and people will come and get you if you call. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call. They did for me. Um, they taught me about the love of the old-timers. And I am so grateful for the old-timers and Alcoholics Anonymous who wants to keep this thing the way it was because I do too. And there's a lot of us out there that want to. And, and if you have an old-timer in your area, then you don't know where they're at. Man, go find them. You know, we can't, there's only one meeting in our area that we have any, time, any kind of sobriety that, that uh, talks about the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and then other things in our area. And, and I'm like, where's the old-timers? You know, they're leaving. And uh, if you're all timer man, stay. We need you. No matter what anybody else thinks, I need you. And, um, and I'll be forever grateful for what those women did for me in, the, in that time period. I actually uh, met a guy. Actually, we, met, we eyed each other that first meeting I was at. It was kind of funny because, you know, I was looking. I told you all what I looked like. I was pretty nasty. And, and, uh, and this guy only had like two weeks of sobriety, and he had done like cleaned up a little bit and kind of had the pink T-shirt and the white jacket and white pants, you know, the Don Johnson era. And, um, <laughs> and we started eyeing each other. And, and um, you know, and I know that people talk about not getting into a relationship in the first year or whatever they say, and, but I'll be forever grateful for that man because if I hadn't had, a, if I hadn't had him, I'd have had a reputation in Alcoholics Anonymous just like I did out there in the streets. You know, because I didn't know what I needed was love when I got here and not sex. And I'm so grateful that the men in our group gave me love and not sex. Thank God for that. Um, anyway, me and this guy ended up getting married. Um, I made a mistake of telling my sponsor what I wanted to do. And, and um, she asked me what I wanted to be in life, and I told her a nurse. And Because and, uh, I'd always want to be. I used to lay under a little old um, magnolia tree. And I would dream about being Florence Nightingale or something, you know, and then wonder what happened to my dreams. And my dreams ended up in the bars, you know. And um, she pushed me to go back to school. It took me four years to get a two-year degree, but I did that. And, uh, you know, and I knew I had plenty of street smarts, but I didn't know I had any kind of book smart. Uh, I could make it out there in the streets, but I had no clue that I could learn. You know, and I fell in love with the pathophysiology of the body. And, and uh, I'll never forget the day I walked across. I had five years of sobriety at that time. The day I walked across the stage, I had the biggest shouts and the most people because all you were there. And my family was there. And it was the first time I'd ever completed anything. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a good starter, bad finisher. Always have been. Still am today. I think I started doing something for my mama for Christmas and that cross-stitching stuff. I got halfway through, and it's been sitting in the thing for about four years, and I don't think I'm ever going to finish it. Well, it was a good idea. Um, but that was the first thing that I've ever completed. Um, you know, and a lot of things happened to me in that time. And, and after I went back out, when I came back to when I 
But for the grace of God, when, when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous, I really did a third, fourth, and fifth step and tried to figure out why and what happened. Because I did everything y'all said do. You know, I was sponsoring people. I was very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was doing service work. I was at my home group when the doors were open, whether I would, you know, I could be have a little sniffle, and my sponsor said, I don't care if you ain't dead or in the hospital, you be here. And, um, you know, and, and I was there, and I did, you know, what I feel to be, believe to be a third, fourth, and fifth step. There's nothing I can sit here and think of today that I left out. And trying to figure out what happened. Well, let me tell you what happened. You know, uh, please don't take this the wrong way. I need you people. I need you in my life. Because without you, I don't believe I could stay sober. But I don't think I can stay sober with you alone. And that's what happened to me. Is uh, My sponsor in my home group became my higher power. And after this guy and I, we were married for five years. He went back out and I decided I wanted to do some travel nursing and and um, when I left that home group I left what I believed to be my higher power there and um, you know when I was doing this travel nursing we go because I'd never been anywhere you know I'd never had anything in my entire life and and this was an opportunity to, to see somewhere I mean I've been in New York I've been in New Jersey and California and Florida I don't remember it but I've been there and I really wanted to see the country again, you know, when I started doing this travel nursing. This is it at uh, seven years of sobriety in 1995, and you could have never, ever convinced me that I would have put that stuff in my body again. Never. I've seen what happened to people who don't go to meetings. I buried people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had all the knowledge I needed. I was taught all those stuff. I was taught the ins and outs of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I still put that stuff in my body. When I started doing travel nursing, I would go to meetings, and it wasn't like the meeting I was at before, and I started picking my way out of those meetings. And, you know, and my six meetings a week went to five, and my five went to my four, and my four went to three, and then the three went to two, and then one every now and then. And I'll tell you what, if you're anything like me, a real alcoholic like me, when I don't go to meetings, I don't feel like I fit in. And when I'm not drinking, I don't fit in out there. And that's a horrible place to be. It was for me. It was a horrible place to be. And um, that was in 1998. I, I got viral meningitis, and I thought I was going to die. I lost uh, from 130 pounds down to 88 pounds and nothing. And, and, uh, and I laid in a bed for a month and a half, and, and I was in the hospital for a while. And Anyway, just a lot of things happened in that time period. But at that time, I hadn't been going to meetings and putting my hand out at all. At nine years of sobriety, I hadn't been going to meetings. I would go to meetings, and I would pick out what was wrong with them. And I was in California, and I don't know if anybody y'all ever been in California meetings, but they're kind of different. They do it different, and we do it over here. <laughs> and, um, you know, but um, I failed to see they were staying sober. I failed to see that. And... Uh, after almost six months of not going to meetings, I got this meningitis, and I was laid up in the bed, and these, tra- these travel nurses I was buddies with came to my house, and they took care of me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but I actually, th- and they even thought I was going to die. We were critical care nurses, and we thought I was going to die. You know, and I started getting a little bit better and a little bit better, and it took me a long time. And when these girls took care of me, after I got better, I became their designated driver. And, uh... 
and, and, and I love a bar. You know, I get that. I don't care when I go in there. I can go in there and eat today and leave as long as that's what I'm going to do. I don't go to bars and play pool, and that's okay if you do. I don't go to bars and dance. I just don't mess with that. I don't want nothing to do with it today. I would rather be in a meeting with y'all. But I became their designated driver, and they're having fun with their drinking and dancing and hooping and hollering and uh You know, and I'm sitting over there drinking my Diet Cokes, not fitting in. And um, it wasn't long before those near beers, those old duels started looking good. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, that's the hardest drinking I've ever done in my entire life. (laughs) You know, when you put, you know, it's so true that this is that physical craving that, and, and I finally learned this, that if I don't put that stuff in my body, I don't ever have to worry about that again. Never. That problem's gone. As long as I don't put it in my body again. But once I do, I'm gone. I started drinking that old dose, and from July until October, I mean, I was drinking a 12-pack of that before lunch. <laughs> and my roommate, now she's watched me sober, she's what, or dry, shall I say, and she's watched me through this time, and, and, um, and she goes, man, why do you drink that stuff? And I said, because it's good, it tastes good. And I didn't realize that I had put that physical back in my body again, and I set up that craving because it has 0.5% alcohol in it, and drinking six of those is like having one Budweiser where I came from. You know, and, and um, so I was drinking this. So I was a hard Man, you got to pee a lot when you drink that. And, <laughs> and I drank a lot of beer. That was my main thing. That was my maintenance. But that was some hard drinking, I'm telling you. And um, it wasn't long in October of, of 98. On Halloween night, we were sitting there, and I picked that drink up again. And I remember Susan looking at me, and she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. I said, I know where to go when it gets bad. And she reminded me I said that. You know, I say, it's not that I know where to go if it gets bad. I know where to go when it gets bad. I knew where it was going to take me, and yet I put it in my body anyway. And for the next year and a half, I was back in the blackouts. My sobriety car became my drunk car. I was waking up and doing things that I never thought I'd be doing again. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun, so you don't have to go back out there and try to figure it out again. It's not any fun. And your faces, all in my head, and things you said, all in my head, and I could just see it happening all over again. And I was out in California at the time, and I thought maybe if I came home that, that I might want to get sober, and I'm, and I come up, moved in Belmont, North Carolina, near Charlotte with my little sister, you know, and all I did was bring the trash in her home. And when I drank, I drank away from my family. I didn't want them to see what I was doing, you know, and and, the, and my sister was, I was always like her hero, you know, and and from August until November, I I tried, and you know, and, but I just couldn't do it. And I ended up getting a little, what I call my two-bedroom tomb down on Lake Wiley. And, and I locked myself up in there, and I drank, about drank myself to death. I don't remember from November until April. Very few things I remember about that time period. I'd wake up with vodka bottles and Plattsville ribbon all around me and only my cigarettes in the ashtray, knowing nobody else had been there. I don't know how I got it or where I got it. I don't remember if my car was there or where it was. And, um... And I was working in a CBICU taking care of open-heart patients at the time. Many days I went to work not remembering even being there. And, uh, I'm just so thankful that God watched over me and that I didn't kill somebody that I know of. 
in April on, on a Tuesday, my little sister came, uh, called me and asked me if I wanted to go to a wrestling match. And I said, yeah. And uh, I grew up with wrestling. We all did love it, love Wahoo McDaniel, you know. And uh, my whole family, my grandpa used to take me wrestling matches when I was young, you know. And I remember when Ric Flair first started. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> and we know it's fake. And I'm sorry if you didn't. I didn't mean to bust your bubble. <laughs> but, um. You know, we, she, I, I don't remember going, I don't remember coming home. I remember coming to the next day, and I called my little sister, and she was very short answers, yes, no, bye. And uh, Thursday, I went to her house, and when I walked in the door, I seen that look of disgust that I never, ever thought I would see on my little sister's face. And she said, Kathy, I love you, but I can't stand to watch you killing yourself. I don't want you around me. I don't want you around my husband. I don't want you around my boys. And she kicked me out of her life. And I went home that night, and I drank, and I drank, and I drank, and I drank. And my body was drunk, but my mind wasn't, and I couldn't cut it off. And I find, I know most of you know what I'm talking about. It was that horrible state where you just can't. People say that's the point alcohol quits working or, or when it quit working. It's like, and I don't know if it quit for me. I just know it didn't numb it. It didn't stop my thinking. I didn't start out drinking to, to stop my thinking, you know, but it ended up that way. And thank God for the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that's given me the tools to stop my thinking today. Thank God. You know, but um, this was on Thursday night. I ended up passing out, and the next day was Friday, uh, April 28th of 2000, and I don't remember too much. The only thing I remember is I was cold as I'd ever been on the inside. I was so cold. And... uh I just wanted off. I wanted the pain to stop. I wanted off. I tried to come back in and get, I had like 15 white chips in that year and a half. Of, I'd walk in a meeting and I want to be there 15 minutes after I was there. I knew I was going to take a drink and I forced myself to pick up a white chip, hoping against hope I'd get that feeling, that gut feeling that I had before, and it never came. Never came. I wasn't ready to put the plug in the jug. And, um, but anyway, that Friday morning I got up and I called an uh, intergroup and I found where a meeting was. And uh, it was the Three Oaks meeting in Gastonia. And I pulled up in that meeting with all intentions of uh, not being there anymore. And the only thing I could think about was what I used to hear when I was here, and that was that some of us die, have to die so that others can live. And then my thought process was that if, I, if I've got to die, then maybe somebody else can live. And I pulled up in that meeting and I had my 45 in the seat behind, beside me, and it, it was already cocked and all I had to do was unlock it and uh, and I turned around and I seen all these people standing outside that meeting at 7.30 and I picked the gun up because I knew there was no way out, there was the only way out and I put that gun to my head and I can remember feeling that steel against my temple and as I'm unlocking it I hear a voice in my head that said try it one more time people say God don't talk to you but I believe that he spoke to me that night That was my point of surrender. I put the gun under my seat, and I walked in that meeting. I'll be forever grateful for a little lady named Dorothy. And Dorothy, I just couldn't do anything but cry through that meeting. And Dorothy grabbed my hand, and she didn't say, do you think you're going to make it this time? She said, welcome home, honey. Welcome home. Thank God for that. And I got, I got a little... Soapbox i got to get on this. I'm so grateful that the guy that gave out the white chips didn't look at me and say, well, if you've been out there barking at the moon, been out there improving your story, come and get this chip. Because, my God, I wasn't improving my story. I was dying out there. I was dying. 
And that's my little soapbox for the night, okay. Um, I didn't have to have somebody tell me that I needed to get a home group. I knew that. I didn't have to have somebody tell me to get the sponsor. I knew that. And I didn't have to tell anybody that I had to work the steps. I knew that. For two weeks after I came back, I laid in my little two-bedroom tomb, and I shook, and I sweat, and I woke up in my urine and my poop. And I, did, and I would clean myself up, and I would go to a meeting, and I'd come back home and do it all over again because I knew this time it was between me and God and not between me and anybody else. And that's what I'm here to say to you today. It's between me and God. Because the day's going to come when you're sitting on the bar stool with a drink. If it ain't already too late, the only one that's going to be there with you is that God deep down inside for me. No. But anyway, I, I met this old lady. Uh, I knew her from before when I was sober before. Her name was Mary Nell. And Mary Nell grabbed a hold of me and she said, I don't know what happened, honey, but I'm going to I'm gonna try, try to help you find it. And we did a third, fourth, and fifth step. And tell them I said, hey. Um, <laughs> I'm just messing with them. Um you know, and doing that fourth and fifth step, I found what had happened to me. You know, it's the very simple and basic as I did not enlarge on my spiritual life. You know, our book talks about that, uh, you know, a couple of things. One it is that uh, permanent sobriety, uh, working one alcoholic with another is vital to permanent sobriety. And I believe that to be true today. You know, um, and that... You know, it's, it's a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition, and I believe that. I truly believe, and Mary Nell taught me this, and I'm so grateful for that. She said, honey, I'm not responsible for your sobriety, and I'm not responsible for your relationship with God. That's between, that's what you've got to do that. And I've worked hard on that. It's been a lot easier this time because the willingness is so much deeper. I mean, i got a lot to lose today. And I don't mean... You know, a husband or a home or a job. I mean, God, what y'all have given me since I've been back in Alcoholics Anonymous is, is beyond belief. You know, I never really had understood God. I never even thought about it. Uh, but, you know, lots of times I'd prayed before and a lot of things had happened to me and I didn't really fully understand it. And I grew up in that fire, brimstone, independent Southern Baptist, you know, you think it, you're going to hell for it, you know, and... um you know, it was probably my perception of what they said, you know, but but uh, my mama seems to remember it that way, too. But, uh, you know, and, and and I knew I was going. I, I knew I wasn't going anywhere else but straight down, and I was going to burn. And I always knew and believed in something bigger and greater because there would be brief periods of time where I would see a sunset that would touch me, you know, where I'd see something that, that would break through that hard shell of alcoholism and, and let me know that there's something... That, something helping me you know and and um so when i had i had heard a lady speak at camp monroe one time and she was talking about her and her son and um she said her son looked up at her and asked her what god was and she said the only thing she could think of was to tell him that god was love and that's as simple as it was for me and where i started because i today i believe that god is love and nothing more i don't read anything else into it you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has been all I have been need that I needed that I have needed. I haven't had to go to a psychiatrist or I'm sorry, I'm, I haven't had to do any other thing 
Alcoholics Anonymous has been enough for me this time, and I am so grateful for that. You know, um, I don't see anything wrong with it. You do what you got to do. But for me, Alcoholics Anonymous has been enough. When I go to a meeting and I see a new, a new girl walk in that door and she feels as morally sick and as bad as I was, and, and all she needs is love, and I can go grab her hand and I can say, Honey, I found a way out. I found a way to live. Let me show you how. You want what I got? You can come and go with me and do what I do, and I can show you. I don't know any other way. You know, nothing else has worked for me. I've tried everything else. But um, my conception of God is just that, love. If it's love, it's God. If it's not, it's not. You know, and I love to talk about when, you know, people talk about I turn my thoughts and uh, my will in my life over to the care of God in step three. And I hear it in meetings all the time, you know, and I don't believe that for me. You know, I turn my will and my life over to God through working the steps, and it doesn't happen for me until after I have worked those steps. You know, the twelfth step is a promise. You know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. You know, and through working those steps and and being armed with the facts about myself, I'm able, and my sponsor, Mary Nell, taught me this too, and I love her. God love her. She said, Kathy, that first year when we work in these steps, your eyes are turned inward so you can learn the facts about, arm yourself with the facts about yourself. Don't quote the big book. I can't. She did. She was good at it. You know, and uh, she said, but after that, your eyes better be turned forever outwards to the new man or somebody sitting in a room that needs your hand and your kindness and your love. And I'm so grateful for that because I love sitting in meetings and hearing about Susie Q's divorce for the tenth time. And or about a, a problem meeting, and I'm like, my God, thank God, thank God, y'all gave me y'all gave me a solution to my, all my problems. No matter what it is, it's turn outward to another human being, and everything else takes care, takes care of itself. And that's been my truth. You know, it's taking care of everything else. And me. the God of my understanding, I love. I work in an emergency room. I, I'm still a nurse, and um, thank God, uh, you know what. I never really got into that other, I never lost my license, and I'm so grateful for that. And I work in an emergency room, and I love to get these little old ladies, country old ladies, you know, little, little old ladies who never really got out no much except go to the Independent Southern Baptist Church. And um, they come in, and they'll talk about, they'll be having a heart attack, and, you know, I'm having a heart attack. Oh, God's tested my faith. And I'm like, no, honey, God didn't throw that KFC down your throat to clot your arteries up to test your faith, you know. To me, I don't believe that, and that's just for me. You know, I believe that we, that, that we do things. You know, God gave us free will, free will. And I believe that a lot of the bad things that happen to us are either our will or the will of another human being, not God. My God is a loving God. And if yours isn't, please borrow mine. My life is so simple today. Um, I met my husband, and um, I'm going to sit, sit down here in just a minute. But I met my husband, Mike, in uh, 1995. That was before I went and did the travel nursing thing, and I was still sober. And, no, I met him in 93 the first time. And, you know, I was in my Leah's Claiborne phase. You know how we street drunks are. we got to come in and clean up. And, um, you know, polished nails, hair done, you know, and matching pocketbook, matching belt, matching shoes, you know, the deal. And here Mike was in his Greg Almond phase. He had hair down to here and no teeth and, uh, <laughs> He wore one of those cut-off Harley shirts so you could see all his tattoos, you know, his little tough boy costume. And, and uh, 
But Mike and I became friends, and, and at that time I was married to, as he refers to it, the Don Johnson wannabe. And, um, you know, but Mike and I became friends, and we'd seen each other at different conferences. And, uh, you know, in the last place we'd seen each other uh, before I went back out was in 1995 at Camp Monroe, and I had just spoken. He said, we'll never see each other again. I said, we'll see each other one day. Little did I know. You know, um, a lot of wonderful things has happened to Mike and I, and, and um, we'll be married five years, four, six, six, six. Okay, sorry, I'm the forgetter. He's not. We've been married almost six years and have never had an argument. And. Um, I don't really need to hear nothing after the meeting about how horrible or anything about it. You know, uh, if you're having trouble with that, maybe you need to look at yourself. And, uh... <laughs> we had this lady, I got to tell this, we had this lady that come up to us, and we had just gotten married. Actually, she brought us a cake. We, when we got married, we went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. On our honeymoon, we went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our whole life is Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what we put first in our relationship, and maybe that's why our relationship is the way it is. It's called unconditional love. Isn't that what y'all teach? No matter what I do, I mean, it's that unconditional love. And I thank God I got a husband and not a daddy. But um, this lady, I seen her at a conference, and we had been married a few months, and she said, and I was talking about not having an argument. She goes, oh, that's just so wrong. You know, you got to have an argument. Everybody's got to have an argument. Talk about making up stuff, you know. And I'm like, we don't have to have an argument to make up, you know. But, um, you know, the next year she come up to me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, so tell me about it. I said, tell you about what? She said, about your first argument. I said, well, when we have one, I'll let you know. <laughs> she said, that's just so wrong, everybody. Argues. That's just so wrong. That's not right. That's not right. So she leaves, and the next year comes up, and I go tap her on the shoulder, and I said, we still have an argument. She said, that's so wrong. I know. I know. I've been married seven times. <laughs> Some ain't working in your life. Don't go to somebody who it ain't working in their life either. But we have an absolutely wonderful life today. We moved, and I think this is... I don't know why, but some it's really strong in, in me right now. It's, it's difficult to move from where you're at and go to a new place. It is so hard. I know that I'll never, ever find another home group like my first home group. And I know that I'll never, ever find another Mary Nell. You know, and, and when I go to another area, of course, they don't do it right, you know. You know, a closed AA meeting becomes a little Debbie snack cake meeting, and I don't know what kind of meeting I'm in. And it's so difficult, it's very difficult when you move. And, um, you know, that's something that happened to me the first time, is I left that home group and I didn't have somewhere to go. And I didn't feel comfortable and I always searched for that and I didn't stick my hand out. And I believe that maybe if I had it, I might have had a chance to stay in here and find that relationship that I needed with God that I've found today. But I didn't. But this time I did. Mike and I moved a couple of years ago, and uh, and we started our own group. A uh, uh, guy in Alcoholics Anonymous, Tom, I said, you could create the fellowship you crave. And we started a new group, and it's called the Big Town Group. And uh, 
it's a small town, Etowah, that we that we have our meeting in. It's a big book meeting on Tuesday night. We started June 27th, and we're just now in the doctor's opinion. And it's been a wonderful meeting, and I absolutely feel at home finally. Um, if you're new, man, stay. It's all you gotta do is stay. Give up. Ain't nothing out there but pain and misery. And these old people in here and these people in here might sound hokey. And it's like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. Just do it. That's what I did. Even when I didn't want to do it, I just did it. And my life has changed. I love the girls that I sponsor. You know, I, some of them you get are kind of different today. But, but uh, you know, the... <laughs> But from what I was, you know, I mean, you, when I came in, you would never, ever talk to your sponsor the way some of the girls I hear talk to their sponsor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's different. Um, but if you've been around for a while and you're sitting there wondering, is, if, is this all there is? God, please grab somebody. Grab a hold of somebody. I believe that alcohol saved my life twice. Alcohol saved my life when I was 14 years old because I believe that if I had not found alcohol, I would have been a teenage suicide victim. And when I allowed drinking to become a choice again for me because I didn't do what I was supposed to do in Alcoholics Anonymous, there was only two choices, and that was either kill myself or drink, and I drank at that time period, and I believe it saved my life. But Alcoholics Anonymous saved my soul. If you don't have a God of your understanding, please grab mine. God is love, nothing more, nothing less. And I love that concept. I don't believe that God tests me. You know, I believe that I create my own misery. I believe what our book says. There's a movement in our area that they don't, they say it's experience, strength, and hope, and not the big book, and uh, and uh, I beg to differ. I find me all in that book. Again, I want to thank the committee for asking me to be here. It's been an honor. And uh, if they hadn't anybody told you that they love you today, just like that guy said up here one other time, maybe you ought to look into it. Thank you.